You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Ruzbe Parsi. I'm the head of the Middle East and North Africa program at the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. I will be moderating this afternoon's conversation on Yemen. Um, we have invited three distinguished guests to discuss with us what's going on in Yemen not just in terms of the grand political conflicts and who is involved, but also more importantly, perhaps what's happening inside Yemen and Yemeni society and to what extent and how peace and reconciliation can be made possible. Um, this seminar will be podcast uh, through our UI podcast. And those of you who are into Twitterverse can follow this on hashtag UI event. Um, this seminar is also made possible through the financial support of SIDA through Forum Seed. So thank you to them. Um, our panel consists of three guests. First, Alia Echard, then Laurent Bonfoy, and then Peter Semneby, Swedish ambassador involved in the issues at hand. Uh, Alia is a Yemeni political analyst and entrepreneur. She is the co-founder and managing partner of Mashura Consultancy, a public policy consultancy that focuses on the Middle East and Africa. She has also worked at the Berghof Foundation with the kind of uh, local governance and track two activities that are of interest to our seminar today. She holds the uh, master's degree in public policy from Oxford University. Laurent Bonfoy uh, is a CNRS researcher in political science based at the French Center of Archaeology and Social Sciences. Uh, and he's currently in Muscat, Oman, uh, having spent a number of years in the Arabian Peninsula. He's also written two books on Yemen, uh, one on Salafism, Transnationalism and Religious Identity, which came out in 2012. And more recently, only last year, uh, Yemen and the World, Beyond Insecurity, from Oxford University Press, which I think we will come back to uh, in the conversation. Ambassador Peter Semnebi has long experience of difficult conflicts in this region and other places. He's also been involved in the recent negotiations outside of Stockholm, and we'll see to what extent he can share some of those experiences with us in the conversation. So we will first have presentations by all three speakers, then there will be a conversation among them, and then at the end we will open up for questions from the audience. And I would already now like to stress that what we're looking for then are questions and not long-winded commentaries. Thank you. Um, Alia, the floor is yours. All right, thank you. So uh, in the next few minutes, I would like to give an overview of where we are currently in the, mom uh, in the conflict. I will also touch on the S Sweden agreement, its implementation, and then address some of the key future priorities. So if you look at the context and where we are right now at the moment, the Stockholm talks of last December came following a year of many difficulties. It was the year where we witnessed an immense economic deterioration, uh, resulting in a humanitarian crisis that made Yemen officially the world's worst humanitarian catastrophe. Uh, 
It's also the year where there was a looming threat of an offensive on Hodeida, an offensive which had an immense uh, impact on the humanitarian situation and the country as a whole. Against this context, uh, the Stockholm talks came as a glimpse of hope following a rare moment of uh, international attention and momentum on Yemen. The agreement essentially capitalized on that attention and uh, led the momentum forward. Uh, which is where the significance of the agreement lies. It's not so much in the outcome, which is to some extent imperfect and has some loopholes, but it's in the uh, process that it has kickstarted, the political process that uh, started after more than two years of political stagnation. Of course, also uh, implementation of some of the measures of the agreement is very important in order for the agreement to maintain uh, some credibility and for the process to keep going forward. So if we are to measure the success of the agreement, uh, we measure two things, whether there is partial implementation uh, of some of the measures in the agreement and whether the uh, political process continues to have some momentum and that Yemen does not go back to being a forgotten war again, which would be uh, an outcome that uh, would be very um, unfortunate and we have to avoid it at all costs. So how much of the agreement has been implemented so far? And this is uh, what we're concerned about today. Um, the Stockholm Agreement had three elements. Uh, in a nutshell, there is the Hodeida element, which is the biggest element of the agreement. There is an element of the agreement that has to do with uh, the city of Taiz, which is the second largest city in Yemen. And then there is the third uh, element of the agreement, which is essentially an agreement uh, on prisoner swap, uh, major prisoner swap, that would be a major trust building measure. So with regards to uh, the Hodeida element, for those of us who don't know the details of it, essentially what's in, the, in this uh, element of the agreement is uh, that there will be a mutual withdrawal uh, of forces from the city um, that would that, uh, happen after a joint committee is formed by both sides, the Redeployment and Coordination Committee, the RCC, uh, to look into the logistics and the uh, steps necessary for this redeployment to take place. Uh, also in this element uh, of the agreement is an element that has to do with the uh, central bank and reactivating the branch of the central bank in Hodeida in order to uh, redeposit uh, funds in it and utilize it to other parts uh, in Yemen, uh, especially those under the control of the Houthi movement. So this is the part of the agreement that has to do with Hadeda. There's a part of the agreement that has to do with Taz, which essentially is about starting the conversation. So there's an agreement to form a committee to start looking into what could be done uh, in terms of de-escalation measures uh, in Taz. And the third part, as I said, is a major prisoner swap of almost 16,000 uh, prisoners in total. Uh, that would be a major trust-building measure. It was uh, something that was agreed upon before, and uh, it was announced with the Stockholm Agreement. So now if you look at the implementation, um, which is something uh, that we're concerned about, on Hodeida, which is uh, the major uh, or the biggest element of the agreement, not much has been done. There is little progress, but obviously a lot of work that still needs to be done. The RCC has been formed and met a few times, uh, but no withdrawal has taken place yet. 
Um, there's, with regards to Taz, we're still waiting to hear of a committee to be formed. And on the prisoners, there's some discussion ongoing and some signs that this is moving forward, but still we haven't seen anything tangible yet. So why is there a lack of progress? Um, and in my opinion, this is mainly due to two reasons. First of all, the Stockholm Agreement was rather broad and general and did not specify some of the key elements that are necessary for the implementation to take place. So for example, if we're looking at uh, the withdrawal element and the redeployment, essentially the most important question here is who is uh, or who are we handing over the city to? Who's taking over uh, when, it, when the redeployment takes place? Now, the agreement states local forces, but this is not clarified. This is an issue of contention. Are we talking about pre-2014 local forces or are we talking about current local forces? If we're talking about current local forces, uh, would those be dominated by the Houthi movement? If we're talking about pre-2014 forces, is it realistic to assume that those could still exist or could be formed again as they were? So those are questions that are not answered in the agreement that require further discussion in order for the implementation to take place. The second reason behind the delay uh, is the what I think, in my opinion, is an unrealistic timeline. The fact that there's a timeline set for the 8th of January for the um, withdrawal to take place is quite ambitious, especially with some of the key questions not answered yet. As especially the question on the local forces, for example, and, and the logistics of this and how this will take place. So given this situation, what are the next priorities? What should be uh, the next steps? First and foremost, there is a need for a follow-up detailed agreement with a more realistic timeline. It's okay that things have not, have not been implemented as uh, agreed upon in the agreement so far, what matters is that the process continues. It, as long as there are some baby steps, some steps taken, this, this is a good sign. So this is what we should strive for, to, for the parties to have a more realistic timeline, a follow-up agreement with more details um, on what needs to be done. And this discussion could be followed up, for example, by the RCC, if they are given the mandate by both parties to address uh, rather political issues as well as not just a technical uh, question with regards to the withdrawal. It's also a political question uh, around what the local forces are um, and what, uh, what they can do. Second, and also on the Stockholm Agreement, there is a need for a quick deployment of the monitoring mission uh, that was uh, mandated by the Security Council. This will help um, oversee the withdrawal and oversee uh, that there is commitment by both sides on the ceasefire and get to hold them responsible. Right now, we're hearing a lot of claims by all sides with regards to ceasefire violations. But without an actual monitoring mission on the ground, it's difficult to tell who's, who's lying, essentially, uh, and who's actually breaching uh, the ceasefire. Third, and this is beyond the Stockholm Agreement, uh, it would be a mistake to be completely consumed uh, by the Stockholm Agreement and forget about other urgent files. 
for example, economic de-escalation is an important file that needs to be looked at. Uh, the trust building between um, different sides on the central bank, for example, um, and its operation, building uh, trust in that area and helping um, the gradual resumption of state institution functions. That would be really important. In other words, an economic truce is needed. And this is the file that will have the most impact. If we want to, to see the most impact on the humanitarian situation, then we need to address the files that will leave the most impact. And the economic file is a major one. Having an economic truce, kind of separating uh, the functions of state institutions, uh, vital state institutions that have to do with the um, livelihood of people from the struggle that's happening right now, from the weaponization by both sides, would be a major step forward. And finally, and most importantly at this stage, and I will end with this point, it's important to maintain international pressure and international focus on Yemen. Yemen was a forgotten war for a long time. Uh, the momentum we saw at the end of 2018 really pushed the process forward. And it's already a proof for all of us that the international pressure works. In the case of Yemen, this is needed, and this is something that we should try as much as possible to maintain. Thanks. Before I give the word to you, Laurent, I'm going to ask you two quick questions just to kind of uh, get us a bit uh, going on this. So if I understood you correctly, to some degree, the Stockholm uh, negotiations also are a bit of a process for the sake of process, just to keep the conversation going. Would that be correct? Yes, I mean, uh, that's where I see the value of it. It's rather starting the process. The process was stagnant for more than two years. So the fact that we were able to initiate the process again, that's in itself is an achievement. And we should try to maintain that. As long as there is a process going, that's a major achievement that should be maintained. And the second question is, so you, you mentioned that the problem in a way with the Stockholm process is the general vagueness, which is sometimes a necessity in the beginning of a negotiation, uh, tricky negotiations like this one. So, and the question is, who is going to take over Hudeida? Well, if the Houthis were to retreat tomorrow, who would fill that vacuum? Yes, exactly. And that's why the question of the local forces and it not being defined in the agreement is a major one. I understand that peace agreements don't have to be very specific, and sometimes you just agree on the bottom line. Because, I mean, let's face it, this was the first meeting for the parties for more than two years, so it would be unrealistic to assume that they can agree on so much details. But there are some uh, details that require further discussion, that would require more time. And, I th and that's why I'm stressing on the process, because as long as there is a process, then such a question, which is a major question, in my opinion, it's kind of the elephant in the room, uh, such a question, if there is a process going and a more realistic timeline, then it would be addressed with time. If the Houthis were literally to leave tomorrow, the people taking over would be uh, numerous ragtag local forces rather than anyone else, any of the other combatants. Ideally, whoever uh, takes over shouldn't be completely under the influence of either of the sites. And this is why the question of local forces requires more discussion. Because if we say, okay, then it's uh, the current local forces, then what are the guarantees that the current local forces are not Houthi-dominated? And if we're talking about simply pre-2014 forces, 
I mean, those were forces that were there more than three, four years ago. So realistically, can we bring those forces again? How, how would that look like? So it's, it's a real question that requires more time and discussion. And it's OK to give it its time. That's why I was also critical of the timeline. Because as long as there is a process going, that's fine. But once you put a, a deadline for it and you say, this should be done by the 8th of January, then you kind of put a, a, you know, a hurdle on the way of things moving forward. Very good. Thank you. Laurent? Well, uh, thank you all for, uh, for attending. Uh, it's always uh, important, I think, to, to, talk about, uh, to talk about Yemen, uh, which is a, a country that is dear to, uh, to many of our, our hearts. And, uh, I often tend to, to, to say that uh, it's not just any, any country, and I've been uh, working on the, uh, the issue of the interactions between Yemen and, uh, and the world at large. And I think that uh, although it, uh, it appears to be uh, uh, rather marginal when, when we think about it, uh, it uh, is connected in many ways with a kind of imaginary that is very, uh, very vivid. Uh, you've had uh, travelers, you have the uh, uh, images of, of uh, uh, um, figures like the Queen of Sheba, uh, which is uh, mentioned in, uh, in the Old Testament and in the Quran. Um, so these, uh, these things uh, uh, shape an image of a country which is, uh, which is quite, quite specific and much uh, very different also from, uh, from the, rest, uh, the rest of the region. Uh, and that's why, uh, in a way, it is also part of uh, the heritage of, uh, of humanity, in a way. Um, for uh, for a long time, uh, when we were mentioning uh, the current uh, the current conflict, we would hear um, the conflict and the war being uh, um, determined as rather uh, either hidden or forgotten. We would uh, we would mention the forgotten war, and most of the time you would uh, you would hear uh, either uh, experts or uh, or journalists saying that the war is forgotten because you have no journalists there and there are no, no uh, images. And the, this, uh, this statement would always puzzle me because I'd, uh, I'd always uh, end up uh, saying, uh, I mean, there are journalists there. There are Yemeni journalists. Uh, they, the only thing, the, the, the issue is that most of the time they're not uh, actually entitled in the kind of uh, mind, mindset of, uh, of many to actually portray their own war, to actually deliver their own uh, their own narrative, and this has been uh, has been problematic. In a way, it's been it's been breached, and I think that the, the statement that uh, Ali uh, made about uh, the fact that uh, now Yemen is on the agenda, and I think that uh, your uh, your presence here is uh, is a, a, a clear example of this. Um, so Yemen is on on the agenda, and yet there are a number of puzzling things which have uh, which have happened. And that have made, uh, in ways, uh, certain Yemenis rather, rather uneasy and unsatisfied by the fact that uh, the new uh, narrative that has been uh, developed uh, around the war is also a biased and a complex narrative that does not do justice to the uh, uh, specificities of the war and the, its complexities. Uh, why am I saying this is because when we start mentioning the, the conflict in, uh, in Yemen, we'll now have uh, very specific images. It no longer is the Queen of Sheba. It no longer is the architecture. I don't know if you've, any of you have, uh, have, have seen uh, how beautiful it is, but you will have the humanitarian situation. You will have uh, violence. Uh, you might have arms deals, which are being signed between uh, part of the belligerents and uh, our Western governments. Um, and 
it often ends up delivering a kind of a very uh, blunt um, Saudi bashing narrative. Individually and politically, you might agree with it. Um, it's not necessarily the question, but uh, there it, you always need to acknowledge also that a wide range of Yemenis do not agree with this kind of narrative. That the narrative which portrays and, uh, and considers that basically you have an aggression by Saudi Arabia against their own country, which is the dominant one, which has now uh, developed, um, is in a way insufficient and unsatisfying for many Yemenis themselves. Um, and, and there, you need to acknowledge that there you have a number of competing narratives. It's always the case in, uh, in, in wars, but we tend to forget this. And we shouldn't just because we are um, sympathetic with the weaker sides or the weaker uh, segments of society and would criticize the stronger ones, in this case being the Saudis, we should not consider that this is the whole of the narratives that exist. And this makes the war very complex. We need to acknowledge that among Yemenis, you do find people who applauded when the Saudis decided to, uh, to intervene. We do find people who continue to support the, uh, the offensive because they have created a hierarchy in the threats. And at the top of the hierarchy is, according to them, the fact that you have a rebel movement which has taken control of the capital and which is enforcing a number of things against their own, uh, their own livelihoods, against their, their liberties. And this is probably one aspect which I feel has been forgotten when Yemen emerged on the, on, the, on the agenda. So we should consider that, okay, Yemen is no longer a hidden war, but we also need to understand that it, it remains a very complex thing. Politically, once and again, we can establish ourselves the hierarchies. I have my own hierarchy. But we also need to understand that it's not because we start you know, stopping or, or bashing the Saudis that it will solve the, uh, solve the issue and make Yemenis happy and satisfied. So when we're talking about the complexity of the, uh, the narrative, I sort of sketched out two different, different ones, opposing one, one that would uh, be uh, sympathetic with the Houthis and anti-Saudi, and one which would uh, consider that the, the Saudis are doing a, a, a positive job. But it's even more complex than that. And uh, portraying the conflict as a kind of competition between these two narratives is a trap, I think, that we often fall into by uh, considering that the conflict itself is rather, rather simplistic. And this has sort of uh, had repercussions in the way the uh, negotiations which unfolded in Sweden in December were constructed, not necessarily by the, the Swedish diplomats or what, that's not the issue, but by the international community itself and by the parties themselves. The, um, the two conflicting parties who participated, so the Houthis and the alleged, allegedly legitimate government on the other, on the other hand, uh, sort of wanted to ignore the other groups, which also are, uh, have, want to have a stake. It is the Southern Movement, which is very, very important, which wants to uh, regain its independence. But you also have other Islamist movements. You also have fragmentation within 
the southern movement, you have fragmentation along internal uh, regional lines, which sort of establishes a very complex image that we have trouble also grasping. And I think that also Yemenis themselves have trouble, trouble uh, grasping, because they always tend to, to look at the, the only uh, movement they themselves support or they are uh, uh, conflicting uh, with. Uh, despite this, uh, uh, this complex, uh, the complexity of the narratives, the complexity of the, or the fragmentation of the, of the movements, I think that as a, an analyst, as an external analyst, a researcher, there are a number of statements that, uh, that, uh, that can be made. Um, the first is a, a kind of objective uh, um, uh, statement dealing with the failure of the... Uh, a military offensive. If you look at what has happened and what has actually been delivered for the last uh, almost, almost three, four years, um, the stalemate and the fronts have sort of frozen. They've frozen ever since the, uh, the summer of 2015. So there was a recapture of mainly the city of Aden in the south, which had been held by, uh, by the Houthis. So in July, August, they are expelled from the, from the city. And ever since, there has been no significant turning point. And gradually, I think that everyone's acknowledged that the idea of, having, of uh, achieving military victory uh, was a kind of uh, illusion. The thing is that a number of, uh, of the political parties, or the, 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 yeah, the parties at, at war, do not necessarily acknowledge this publicly. So it is difficult to actually find face-saving solutions for, for the different, uh, different parties, including members of the, of the coalition. This um, difficulty um, is very much linked to uh, the kind of structure or the way that the war has been, has been framed. As I, like I've said, a war between two conflicting legitimacies, the one which would be more popular or more linked to uh, uh, the rebel movement, and the other linked to the uh, internationally rec recognized government. And I'm stressing this idea of internationally recognized government because uh, it so happens that uh, the war or the, uh, the uh, intervention by the coalition has been legitimized through a resolution of the U UN Security Council, Resolution 2216, which uh, has a number of very significant flaws and which is still used has a, has a way of describing where the international legitimacy lies. It states that the legitimate president of Yemen is Abderabu Mansour Hadi, uh, who himself has lost much of his, his own credit. And so there you have a resolution which still plays an important role, but which is quite disconnected from the realities on the field. And while the coalition itself states that its objective, its primary objective is to reinstate the power of Abderabu Mansour Hadi. Most of the people who side with, uh, with the coalition perfectly know that it is not something that is uh, any longer doable. Uh, Hadi himself is, is a weak figure. And then when you look at what these actors are actually doing, in particular, for instance, the United Arab Emirates, who are part, who play a very central role, which is often uh, overshadowed by, uh, by the role of Saudi Arabia, which plays a very important role on the field. But well, the UAE's policies in Yemen are actually working 
against the power of uh, Abdel Abu Mansour Hadi. So this is creating some kind of complexity, and you can see that in the end, it is increasingly difficult to actually deliver. And so there are some, like I've said, some structural flaws in the way the, the conflict is, uh, is being carried out. I want to, uh, to, to finish by, just by, uh, by stating something that I feel is absolutely central in the way we, uh, we deal with, uh, with, uh, with Yemen, is that um, in the years to come, I'm absolute, absolutely convinced that we will be looking back at the current situation, stating that these current problems, which are basically you know, a kind of a competition for power and resources, will be seen as a kind of peripheral. They'll, we'll just uh, consider that, hey, we should have been able to deal with them. Why is that? It is because there are some very structural challenges ahead of, uh, of Yemeni society. Uh, and these are being completely forgotten, completely marginalized by our current obsession, first of all, with uh, institutions, and then also with anti-terrorism. And I think that uh, this anti-terrorism uh, between, say, 2001 and uh, 2015 has completely obscured the different and significant trends which are a challenge to Yemeni society. When I'm mentioning the structural challenges of, uh, of Yemen, I can state two different ones. First is demography. Uh, Yemen is currently 30 million people, and the population is meant to double every 20 years. And you can imagine, in a country which is already the poorest in the Arab world, what this entails when you have 60 million people. And even more than that comes the second structural challenge, which, which is linked to the environment and linked to the water resources. Per capita, Yemen is amongst the, uh, the countries with the lowest water resources. Uh, and so if you double the population, then the capital of water that each Yemeni has is divided by two. And you have a number of regions which are already under severe, severe stress. The most important one is the capital Sana'a. Uh, Sana'a lies at 2,300 meters above sea level. And so the, most of the, uh, the water that is consumed by the around 3 million and probably more now uh, inhabitants of Sana'a is pumped in the ground. So it's groundwater. And getting, uh, getting this, uh, this water now means that you often need to, uh, to, uh, to create uh, uh, pipes that go down uh, almost 1,000 uh, 1, meters. And you, get, you need to, get, to, to pump it out. And every, every year, I'm, not, I'm no specialist of these, uh, of these water tables uh, issues, but the level of water goes down. In the foreseeable future, that's what experts tell us, that in around uh, 20 years, or maybe less, maybe more, but whatever, in a few years, probably the last drop is going to be pumped out. What happens in a country or in a city, a capital city, which basically has to close down? This has not been experienced in, uh, in, contemporary, uh, in the contemporary history. And no one actually understands what this will entail in terms of violence, what this will, uh, what this will entail in terms of the economy. Uh, there have been uh, projects to actually displace, or not the capital, but displace part of the population by, uh, by creating new cities. One of them would have been um, uh, uh, on the Tihama coast, so south of Hodeida, where you can have desalinated water 
which is not possible to bring 2,300 meters above sea level, or at least very complex. Um, and uh, uh, there, you have these challenges, which I feel uh, highlight the fact that Yemen, the Yemeni issue, in a way, is here to stay. And Yemenis, and I think more broadly, the world, is in a way losing precious time. The uh, Saudis, I think, or more broadly, the regional environment is obsessed by these issues, obsessed also by uh, the sectarian dimension of the, of the current conflict in Yemen. And forgetting that rather than considering Yemen as a kind of, uh, of issue, as a problem, it might be interesting to develop a new perception and consider that maybe Yemen can also be an opportunity. It's an opportunity because you have strong population, which means a workforce. Why is it not uh, rational to consider that having a, a workforce from Yemen might be more interesting for Saudi Arabia, for the Emirates, rather than having a workforce coming from South Asia or, uh, or from, uh, from the Philippines? Is, there, there might be answers to that, but it's not something that comes in very naturally. And then, when you're thinking of the, 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 the main project of Saudi Arabia currently, of the Saudi leadership, it is to diversify the economy. All the, the countries in the region are trying to diversify their economy. Uh, I mean, one of the projects might be, okay, we're going to destroy our neighboring country, and then we're going to get contracts to actually uh, uh, rebuild it. Uh, I'm not sure that this is the, uh, the, 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 the bet that is being made, but I think the more productive bet could, uh, could be made by, uh, by just stating that, uh, okay, we as Saudis, we as Emiratis, as Omanis, as uh, Qataris have an interest in having a developed, uh, developed Yemeni neighbor. It is going to be better for us, especially since its population is rising and then there will be pressure on by refugees and we all know that it is impossible to stop, stop the flows of people. Um, and so this is the kind of, of discourse which I think is probably uh, necessary to, 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 to spread out so that Yemen is not only considered as a, as a kind of issue. It is an issue. It is a problem that we will have to deal with and that Yemenis will have to deal with in the, in the, in the first place. But it is uh, not the only uh, narrative, I think, that, we, that can be delivered about, uh, about Yemen. Um, I'm, well, I'm just going to ask you one very quick question. Um, you mentioned this, uh, the anti-terrorism aspect of how we view Yemen in general and the Yemeni conflict to some degree. And since you have researched the Salafist situation, if you will, I was just going to ask you, to what extent is the idea of Salafism and the presence of Al-Qaeda and maybe also ISIS in Yemen, uh, how much of it is it not necessarily a figment of imagination, but how much of it is a reality on the ground and how much of it is it projection from the outside? It's true that uh, uh, when, I, when I mentioned uh, images of, uh, of Yemen, uh, you, you did have a succession. And uh, the Queen of Sheba was, uh, was in a way overshadowed by, uh, by the figure of Osama bin Laden in the, in the 2000s. Uh, Osama bin Laden, who originated from, uh, from a family uh, who had, uh, his father had left Yemen in the early, uh, early uh, 20th century, a region called Hadramaut, which is the, the central region. Um, and uh, um, for, uh, for quite some time, uh, I'd say a little more than a decade, uh, the main image uh, when, when we were talking uh, uh, about Yemen uh, was linked to 
jihadi groups. Um, up to the point that, uh, in a way, it became an obsession. It became the matrix through which uh, uh, the Americans, but also you know, to a certain extent the Europeans, interacted with, uh, with Yemen. Uh, the, the, the main issue which uh, was uh, uh, important to them was how was the cooperation in the global war of terror going, uh, going on with, uh, with uh, uh, the Yemeni government. Uh, most, and the Americans, uh, first of all, did not care if the political system was creating, uh, creating issues. They did not care if there was a war against the Houthis going on between 2004 and 2010. That was not the issue. The main issue was fighting Al-Qaeda. And if you look at the, at the trend over, the, over the, this decade in the 2000s, you find out that uh, um, uh, the global war on terror, much like everywhere else, has not delivered anything very constructive. Uh, that actually uh, violence had increased quite, uh, quite tremendously. Why is that? Because, uh, uh, first of all, you did have uh, a capacity of uh, the jihadi movements to sort of establish a kind of uh, very convincing uh, discourse uh, which portrayed the central government as corrupt and which portrayed it as, uh, as only uh, acting uh, in the best interest of the Americans, not of, uh, not of Yemenis. And by the way, this is also what has fueled support for the Houthi movement. So this is the first, the first reality, is that uh, the um, Al-Qaeda movement in Yemen managed to deliver a kind of convincing discourse. I'll just give, a, give an example. In uh, um, 2014, in January 2014, you have the Al-Qaeda uh, branch, local branch, carries out an attack against the Ministry of Defense in Sana'a, which is uh, quite, uh, quite successful in terms of its own, uh, its own objectives but which in a way backfires um, because uh, you have uh, uh, CCTV uh, images which are then being broadcast and which show uh, militants um, uh, killing in a very, very cold, uh, cold manner uh, nurses and doctors because you had a military hospital next to the, to the Ministry of, uh, of, of Defense. And there, this kind of backfired because uh, people were saying, oh, look, you've been portraying yourselves as, uh, as kind of people who defend our own interests. And just a few, uh, few uh, days afterwards, uh, Al-Qaeda uh, gets a, a video out where the leaders of Al-Qaeda um, sort of say, we're, we're sorry for what happened. This is not how the, the way we should be de dealing. Uh, this is not the violence that we, uh, we are uh, accustomed uh, uh, to. And so they say, okay, we're, we're sorry for this. Uh, just a few, uh, a few uh, weeks before, you had had uh, a drone attack which had uh, targeted, willingly or not, we never know with drone attacks, uh, a wedding ceremony. And you had had uh, uh, civil, uh, civil victims. No word by the United uh, States government or by the, by the Yemeni government saying we're sorry or this is, this is not something that we intended to do. And there you see this kind of, uh, of difference between the, 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 different, the capacity to uh, 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 deliver some kind of communication on the one hand, and the other just generating some kind of frustration. So this is also the second, the second reason where you had uh, the drone attacks, which generated some kind of, some kind of support. Peter? Well, 
thank you. Uh, let's see what there is left to say after these uh, uh, comprehensive presentations. I will um, uh, make an <clears throat> attempt, and with the uh, danger of, of repeating uh, what, what uh, has been said before, let me just uh, say that um, the, <clears throat> I, I, I will go into a little bit about the background of the conflict. I will um, uh, talk about uh, the intervention of the Saudi-led um, uh, coalition. Uh, I will talk about the political process and I will talk about uh, the role of uh, Sweden in particular. Um, the um, uh, Yemen conflict, I, would, I will be very brief regarding the background, uh, but, but it deserves to be uh, repeated here that uh, the conflict in Yemen today is not new. It's, uh, 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 it, it, it has a long history. <clears throat> Yemen has been a divided country uh, for a long uh, period of time. And we have had um, uh, civil wars and, and regional conflicts in Yemen uh, more or less continuously with some interruptions at least since the 1960s, but you can trace it even further back in, uh, in time. The uh, Arab Spring uh, had profound uh, consequences for uh, Yemen. It, uh, uh, among the, the uh, impacts was first of all that it revealed uh, a lot of divisions inside in Yemeni uh, society. Uh, secondly, it profoundly weakened uh, the Yemeni state. And uh, thirdly, it gave space uh, to uh, external actors uh, who were driven either by their uh, interests uh, defined in, in um, um, proactive terms or uh, fears uh, that uh, their regional rivals would fill the vacuum that had uh, been created as a result of, of the virtual collapse uh, of, of the state. Uh, the intervention by the uh, Saudi-led uh, coalition was uh, rather uh, sudden in, in the spring of, of 2005. And um, um, without really... Uh, any clearly defined objectives what uh, the future of Yemen should uh, should look like. And maybe this was inevitable because it was an intervention that was uh, uh, happened uh, uh, very quickly. Uh, this has uh, had um, a number of consequences. First of all, we've seen a number of, uh, let's say, unexpected alliances um, with uh, Saudi Arabia and, and the, the Emirates uh, using different partners uh, in, in Yemen, uh, with uh, Saudi Arabia to a large extent um, relying on, on the Al-Isla party, which uh, has close links with, with the Muslim brother, bro Brotherhood, and with the United Arab Emirates, um, largely relying on a very eclectic uh, alliance uh, in the south, uh, consisting of, of um, uh, southern separatists, Salafists, and uh, some uh, old-fashioned uh, Marxists. Um, the um, uh, uh, coalition has um, uh, divided its labor between uh, Saudi Arabia and and um, and the UAE, um, and um, it it has been it became um, quickly uh, quite clear that uh, the two countries also had uh, very different geographical interests in in Yemen, with Saudi Arabia focusing on the north the area closest to its border, and, and uh, the uh, UAE focusing on the south, 
uh, with its proximity uh, to um, uh, shipping lanes, uh, with, with maritime security being an important objective uh, of, of the, the UAE. Um, now, I may uh, venture into dangerous territory here, speculating about, um, about the, the bottom lines of uh, the leading member of, of the uh, of, of the coalition, but I think I'm not too far uh, from the truth, and I don't think uh, my Saudi friends would uh, disagree with me too much if I say that uh, um, the bottom lines, uh, and, and, and these are not equal with, with, with um, more far-reaching objectives, but the bottom lines is bottom lines are, are at least three. It's first of all to have a non-antagonistic government in Sanaa. Uh, secondly, to make sure that there is no threat to Saudi territory emanating from uh, Yemen. And uh, thirdly, uh, and, and this is related to uh, the second point, to make sure that there are no uh, uh, armed non-state actors uh, in Yemen. And uh, this particularly concerns uh, the Houthi movement, Ansarallah, which uh, Saudi Arabia fears uh, could develop into a... a uh, new Hezbollah-like uh, actor on the uh, Arabian Peninsula. Um, Saudi Arabia has uh, recently also uh, moved into a more long-term uh, uh, strategy with uh, considerable resources being devoted to reconstruction and, and development, um, uh, which uh, will presumably also be, be the basis for, for a more... Uh, to, to in, in order to solidify the Saudi position on the ground in, uh, in Yemen. Um, Iran is the uh, main focus of the uh, Saudi uh, engagement. Um, uh, and the uncertainty about the, the scope and purpose of the role of Iran uh, uh, has uh, become a... a driving force or a lever uh, in itself uh, in this conflict. Um, I will not go uh, very deep into uh, uh, trying to characterize uh, the role of Iran, but let, let it, I just let it be, be said that there are, not surprisingly, many different uh, interpretations of, of uh, um, what the objective of Iran is, whether it's a, a strategic objective to establish a, a permanent presence on the Arabian Peninsula. This is the argument uh, uh, made by Saudi Arabia. Whether it's a tactical engagement to divert Saudi resources uh, uh, at the time when Iran has more uh, 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 is focusing its attention on um, uh, the for the strategically more uh, important, or, or for Iran more strategically more important northern flank, the Fertile uh, Crescent. Uh, uh, there's also a possibility that the Iranian involvement is purely opportunistic, that the, the, uh, there has, uh, as a result of the, uh, of the Arab Spring um, and, and, and the vacuum, uh, there was, an, was a possibility that, that opened up. Um, uh, when you talk to Iranians, uh, they, or Iranian officials, they also emphasize the altruistic uh, aspect of, of their uh, involvement, uh, saying that the Houthis are 
uh, weak actor fighting for, for a just cause. I will not say uh, uh, try to weigh these different possibilities against each other, but I'll, I'll just let it be said that, uh, that there's still considerable uncertainty about, about this. The Houthis um, uh, acknowledge um, that they receive support from, uh, from Iran, but at the same time they um, make the point that it has not been forced upon them it's something that they have asked for, and um, it is. Uh, this is an important point, actually, if you want to engage uh, the Houthis in a negotiation. Um, now, um, a few words about the political process. Um, there have been um, uh, before the uh, Stockholm uh, meeting or the Rimbo meeting. Uh, there. Um, had not been any contact uh, or direct engagement between the parties uh, for almost uh, two and a half years. Um, there was a meeting in Kuwait in, in 2016, followed uh, by a failed attempt uh, by the UN Special Envoy to bring the parties together uh, in uh, uh, September of this year, or last year, sorry. Um, the... Um, uh, the, it has been difficult to bring the parties together because they are reluctant for uh, various uh, reasons. Uh, with uh, the Houthis arguing that uh, the government of Yemen is not their real adversary. Uh, they claim the real adversaries are Saudi Arabia and uh, perhaps the uh, United States. The government of Yemen, uh, on the other hand, uh, uh, argues that uh, the Houthis are not an equal uh, partner. Uh, they are uh, uh, just an insurgent uh, militia uh, uh, that uh, uh, should not uh, negotiate with, with, with the government uh, in, in, in a one-to-one -one, uh, negotiation. And in fact, uh, well, against this background, the Stockholm meeting was uh, actually it was a major achievement to bring the parties to the same place. At the same time, uh, it should be mentioned also that these, uh, this negotiation was not, this meeting was not formally a negotiation between the parties. It was proximity talks. There were plenty of opportunities uh, for the two delegations to engage with each other, uh, but they never sat down uh, 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 except for the initial session and, and, and the final session, and they never sat down in a formal negotiation meeting in the same room uh, uh, throughout these eight or nine days. Uh, the focus um, uh, uh, um, during these uh, consultations, which is the correct term, uh, was on uh, confidence-building measures of uh, various kinds. You may remember that there was an agreement on uh, exchange of prisoners announced already on the first uh, day of the of the meeting. Um, this uh, agreement had been negotiated before, obviously, um, but it was decided by the UN to announce it on the first day to provide a positive backdrop uh, to the meeting itself, um, which I think in, in retrospect was a very good idea. Um, the big prize uh, of the uh, of the consultations was the agreement on uh, on, on Hodeida, um, the, the the port city of, of Hodeida. Um, 
the, the rationale uh, for this uh, agreement on Hodeida was the humanitarian situation, to, the, the need to alleviate the humanitarian situation. It was not primarily a political rationale. Um, but uh, at, uh, at the same time, uh, if you look at a map uh, of the front lines in, in Yemen, you realize that Hodeida carries an importance that goes beyond uh, the humanitarian situation. It's also deeply political in the sense that it's uh, currently, uh, the, together with two minor ports uh, north of Hodeida, the only outlet uh, that the Houthi side has uh, to the world outside. Otherwise, they, they are are uh, surrounded by uh, coalition uh, forces. So it is a, a, a choke, choke point, um, uh, so to speak, uh, of uh, quite considerable uh, strategic importance. Uh, there was also a, uh, another agreement on the city of Thais that is also uh, besieged, uh, held by militias loyal to the, uh, to the Yemeni government, but besieged by uh, by, by the Houthis, uh, and uh, there was an agreement uh, to continue to discuss uh, uh, economic issues, and in particular, the role of the central bank, uh, salary payments, governance issues, uh, 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 the, the, uh, the handling of government revenue, and so on, and uh, to continue to discuss the, the possible opening of uh, Sana Airport. Um, the next round uh, will, uh, well, in the, in the meantime, I will not, not go into the implementation of the Hodeida uh, agreement because Alia has, uh, has done that uh, in, in, in some detail, but I can uh, answer uh, questions if you want uh, uh, on that. Um, uh, the provided uh, that there is uh, progress on the implementation of the Hodeida Agreement. Uh, uh, the intention of the United Nations is to see uh, is to convene uh, another consultation round relatively soon uh, that will focus on a framework uh, for the uh, political negotiations that have actually not started uh, yet. Uh, this is also tricky uh, for many reasons. Uh, the, uh, the Houthis uh, are reluctant to make uh, any concessions regarding security without having some degree of clarity on the political finality, uh, while the government uh, is reluctant to make any political uh, negotiations that uh, they fear will threaten to undermine its authority or, uh, or, or legitimacy. Uh, there are also uh, a number of issues uh, that uh, are not yet and will not at this uh, the next meeting be part of the agenda, and that is the uh, very special situation in, in the south of Yemen with, with uh, strong uh, 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 sentiments uh, for uh, uh, governing their own affairs and, and, and perhaps even seceding from, uh, from Yemen. Now, why was uh, the meeting in Stockholm successful while so many other attempts uh, uh, failed in the course of the last uh, few years? Um, well, first of all, I think that the interest of uh, Saudi Arabia and the UAE uh, to um, uh, launch a, a uh, uh, political process uh, had increased for several reasons. I uh, 
the, the growing realization that uh, this conflict does not have a military solution, that there needs to be uh, some kind of deal uh, um, eventually. Um, uh, both countries uh, were very active, uh, in, in, in fact, in the run-up to the Stockholm uh, consultations to make sure that the delegations would actually uh, appear uh, here. Um, the, uh, this was compounded by a degree of American impatience um, uh, and engagement, uh, most uh, clearly uh, reflected uh, by the public statements of uh, the then, then Defense Secretary Jim Mattis, and, and also um, uh, to a somewhat lesser extent, but, but in the same vein, by Secretary of State Mike, uh, Mike Pompeo. Um, the uh, P5 countries uh, were uh, united uh, in, in their support for the, uh, for the consultations and uh, uh, played a very active role uh, throughout uh, uh, the consultations. Uh, 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 together with, 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 with a couple of other countries, Sweden as host, uh, Saudi Arabia was also quite, quite actively uh, involved. Um, there were other regional actors that provided support of various kinds uh, uh, in order to transport the delegations and so on, Oman and, and, and Kuwait. And then uh, the Swedish uh, role and, uh, as uh, uh, hosts uh, uh, was uh, 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 probably also a, 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 a factor. Um, uh, Sweden also played uh, played a role in the very tricky negotiations about how the Houthi delegation should be transported uh, from Sanaa to, um, uh, to to Stockholm. And as I mentioned, we we also participated in the in the the negotiations uh, 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 with the uh, meetings with the UN special envoy and the delegations throughout uh, these eight or, or nine days. Um, the Swedish role uh, in Yemen uh, is, well, there is a history to, uh, to build on, although um, that history has uh, receded far back in memory in, 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 in recent years. But uh, we decided when we became members of the Security Council uh, to uh, engage uh, more uh, thoroughly, more profoundly uh, on the Yemen file. Uh, we have been uh, particularly uh, active in the Security Council to ensure that the Security Council would focus attention on humanitarian issues, and together with the Netherlands, we made sure that uh, we, we were behind the, the presidential statement of, of the Security Council uh, early last year, which was the first uh, real document uh, that, that addressed the, the humanitarian, uh, uh, by the Security Council, addressed the humanitarian situation specifically. Uh, Sweden has also been co-host of the UN donor conference for uh, Yemen uh, three years in a row, and uh, the next such meeting will be held in Geneva on the 26th of February. This is the, the largest uh, humanitarian response plan anywhere in the world. Uh, the UN is asking for $4 billion, uh, billion this year. Uh, we will uh, also, after our membership in the Security Council, continue uh, to uh, use the platform that we have built up. We will continue to support 
the United Nations process. We, we are providing support to the UN on the ground in various ways through secondments, through financial um, uh, support for stabilization, uh, uh, and through um, uh, our humanitarian assistance. Uh, we will also uh, make our voice heard in the European Union to argue for a stronger role for the EU uh, in, in, in Yemen. And uh, generally, we will uh, uh, continue to develop um, the platform that, that we have uh, created uh, during the uh, Security Council as a basis for, for uh, being an uh, active uh, supporter of, of uh, the uh, peace process in, in, in Yemen, but also uh, for alleviating the, the suffering of the people of Yemen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so I have a question each for one of, for each one of you, uh, and I hope perhaps we can have some interaction on those issues. So I'm going to start by asking you, Aliya, about the local variations. I mean, we're talking about Yemen as if it was just simply the same homogenous situation everywhere, but both in terms of the war situation, but also the peace situation and everything in between, it's not the same everywhere in Yemen. So what does that mean? Uh, and what repercussions will that have on any attempt to actually try and, and negotiate peace on a local level? Laurent, for you, I have a question regarding the north and south divide, because that's probably, besides Queen of Sheba, one of the few things people might know about Yemen is that it was two states quite some time. So the question is, to what extent is that north-south divide still relevant? Um, is it relevant in the same way? Or is the southern question a different question than it was 30, 40 years ago? And Peter, for you, the question, of course, has to be, uh, besides Sweden, does the EU have a role to play? And at what point, if at all, would other regional actors be relevant for a negotiation process? Would that be when it becomes a formal negotiation, when the proximity talks develop into that, or should they not be there at all? Thank you. So on the uh, local elements, Yemen is a multi-layered conflict. And therefore, it requires a multi-layered approach. Uh, it would be wrong to just look at Yemen from the regional international perspective, as if it's just simply a proxy. And it's also equally wrong to just look at the two governments uh, conflict that we have right now, the de facto government, the national government. Um, there's also a third element to it, which is the local level. The fact that there are a lot of uh, new local actors in the scene, um, wh wh whether in the south or in, uh, you know, Marib, Ta'iz, other places. So it's important to take that um, local perspective into account uh, if we're thinking about long-term sustainable peace. Therefore, the best approach, in my opinion, would be a multi-layered approach that's in parallel. So you need the regional elements. You need that kind of track to be going. You need also the national or the mid-level element, which we have right now between the two governments. And we also need a local element. It's important to start 
looking into the local issues, to start engaging with the local actors, and not necessarily tie it up with all the other tracks, but to start thinking about what are the needs, what are the entry points, um, how could this be uh, utilized at a later stage, how can we link up the, all the tracks at a later stage. Uh, so it's important to start the discussion going as a separate track on the local level. Yeah, the, the, the north-south issue is, is indeed uh, central. I, I mentioned uh, during my uh, initial, uh, initial statement uh, uh, that uh, uh, the southern movement was among the, the very significant uh, uh, um, parties which had not been represented at, uh, at uh, the negotiations and which was often uh, absent when we, when we were talking about the conflicting legitimacies. It so happens that indeed uh, Yemen uh, had been for uh, for a long uh, divided, and that uh, north and south have had very divergent uh, historical and political trajectories. Um, the most uh, uh, symptomatic being the fact that the south, um, up until 1990, was the only uh, socialist Arab state, um, and so it had sided with uh, the Soviet Union in the during the during the Cold War. And there, with the collapse of the United uh, of the of the USSR, um, you had a kind of uh, momentum uh, through which the aspiration to unify Yemen um, sort of um, uh, delivered a unitary state. And so, uh, in on, on May 22nd, 1990, you had unification. But uh, unification, in a way, was. Uh, um, I wouldn't say ill-prepared because you did have a, a popular aspiration, but uh, it involved a number of uh, um, inequalities, which then popped up ever since, and which legitimized uh, the emergence or the re-emergence of uh, a specifically southern identity, uh, which considers that um, unification was a rotten deal. There was a, a, a deal through which the northern elites would colonize the south. And they use the, the, the term of uh, colonization to, to claim that there needs to be, uh, the, this has to be corrected, and the, the, the south must regain its own ind independence. The problem is that uh, um, throughout the um, almost 30 years of unity, um, the uh, situation has tremendously uh, changed. And so the movement itself and the leaders like to portray uh, the South as a kind of unitarian society, as a, as a specifically distinct uh, um, culture and uh, society from the North. But yet they often uh, tend to forget that there are certain uh, fault lines and divisions within the South itself. And these have uh, deep historical roots linked to the, the rivalries that which exist between, uh, between the different, uh, different region, regions within, uh, within the South. But they have also sort of built up uh, more, uh, more recently, um, including in the framework of the, of the current, uh, current conflict, uh, where um, the United Arab Emirates have taken uh, the lead in most of the uh, southern regions, but not all of them. 
And so you do have a certain number of, of tensions, which doubled again with, uh, with uh, more historical, uh, historical ones. And uh, uh, then there is uh, this kind of uh, uh, a complex manner. Um, and uh, this is uh, something that, uh, that you pointed out uh, uh, earlier um, by uh, the fact that the Southern movement itself is uh, an addition of uh, movements which themselves do not agree with one another. And it is kind of odd to see that uh, uh, the Southern movement rallies behind a flag with a red star of socialism. And the main leader currently of the, of the Southern movement is uh, uh, a Salafi. And so when you know the history of the relationship between the Salafis and, uh, and the socialists, you can say that this is kind of puzzling. And so they, in a way, have not, uh, um, they have this kind of uh, um, conflicting approach to their own past, either being the socialist past, but also being the period of, uh, of uh, uh, British colonialism, which uh, uh, ended in uh, 1967 in Aden, when Aden was uh, uh, among the most uh, important ports uh, in the world. Um, well, <clears throat> the, the role of the EU has, I would say, great uh, potential um, as we move uh, to a new stage in the conflict. Um, the, um, um, and um, I want to underline that it is a new, new, new stage by, by um, quoting or paraphrasing what the, the Deputy Foreign Minister of the UAE told me uh, in, in Abu Dhabi a couple of weeks ago. Um, he um, mentioned to me uh, and, and, and my colleague in, in uh, Abu Dhabi that um, the Hodeida Agreement uh, is much more important uh, than uh, uh, what's in the agreement uh, put on paper in, in a narrow sense. Uh, because it marks um, the the, uh, 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 the 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 changeover uh, from a military phase of the conflict to a political phase, uh, and uh, in this political phase, uh, the European uh, Union has a lot of instruments at its uh, disposal, and it can build on a, uh, on on quite considerable trust and confidence that it has established. Uh, both the EU as such, um, the EU institutions, but, but also individual uh, member states. Uh, we're already seeing uh, a considerable degree of EU involvement in the implementation of the Hodeida Agreement uh, 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 with um, um, uh, support uh, um, for, for the situation around Hodeida, actually preceding the agreement, also support for... for uh, the the um, uh, UN verification inspection uh, mechanism, support for uh, Yemeni Coast Guard, uh, support for uh, the implementation of the ties uh, agreement, uh, the, the uh, uh, elaboration of, of a feasibility study for the opening of Sana uh, Airport, and um, several dialogue uh, initiatives that uh, has been um, launched already some time ago, but uh, which will carry additional importance in this uh, new situation. Um, there could also be a possibility for the EU to in uh, engage with the instruments within the common security and defense policy, but we're not quite, uh, quite there yet. Other regional actors, um, you mentioned this in the plural, 
what are the actors or is there is there one that you have in mind in particular no you pick the ones you like <laughs> i i i think you you probably mean uh, iran uh, which is the regional actor that was not uh, present at the uh, consultations in in stockholm um of course the iranian role uh, is a uh, is a very uh, is a key factor uh, uh, there's no way um, around it um, uh, at the same time iran is not totally uh, oblivious to what is going on there's a lot of dialogue going on with, with iran we have uh, sweden has uh, Quite frequent contacts uh, with the uh, with the Iranians, they are showing an, uh, an interest, but have not been insisting on on imposing themselves uh, in in this uh, sensitive uh, process. Where perhaps uh, a, 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 uh, that could divert attention from from the real Yemeni um, issue, since the the um, uh, issues around Iran are 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 larger, uh, much larger than, than just uh, Yemen. At the same time, um, in the end, uh, there has to be some kind of modus vivendi uh, uh, found uh, between the main uh, regional, uh, regional actors, uh, the, the, the Iranians uh, uh, have to acknowledge uh, a deal uh, and uh, it has to be a deal also where, where, which gives um, a role uh, to Iran that uh, the Saudis are are, uh, um, are, are at least not um, uncomfortable with. Um, it, it will be, um, but, but we're not there. Uh, we, we, we're really not there yet. And um, the key uh, is, uh, and I want to underline this, uh, is to find dialogue between the Yemeni uh, actors. Uh, that, that's where we will find uh, the solution. And uh, in fact, what the, what the Iranians and the Saudis agree on, I've heard this from both, is that once the Yemenis uh, uh, come to an agreement, they will accept that agreement. I, I, that's a very important uh, starting point, and this is where we should focus our attention. Find us on www.ui.sc. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UI Sweden. And we're also on YouTube, where you can watch our seminars and interviews.